In August, I spent a week in Colorado on study leave. Each morning, I gathered with the monks at St. Benedict's Monastery for morning prayers and Bible study, and each evening around sunset for sung evening prayers in the chapel. During the day, I mostly stayed inside my cabin studying, but one afternoon I asked Julie, who managed the cabins, if she could direct me to a place where I might take a walk in the woods, someplace safe, I said, so that I didn't feel alone and in danger walking as a single person. Oh, she said, I know just the place, the perfect hike, not too remote. Just drive out towards the monastery and then turn left and go around that curve and around the creek and then you'll come to this kind of T intersection and you'll go up and I said, wait, let me get out my Google Maps on my phone and you can show me here. And she said, oh, I don't have my glasses on. I can't read that thing. And besides the road I'm telling you about isn't on the map. It's a dirt road, and she saw the look of panic on my face, and she said, you must take it. You won't regret it. It's such a beautiful route, and besides, if you go on the main road, the trail is too difficult to find. Well, I mustered my courage, and I turned on a dirt road, and I went uphill, and it was gorgeous, but I was terrified. What if this wasn't the right road? What if I turned too soon or too late? What if there was a drop off over a cliff? What if I was on private property? What if someone was hunting? What if I couldn't find my way back? And about this time, the road dumped me right back into the main highway. So I wonder about Abraham and Sarah when they were given this direction by God, which was go, what were they thinking? Today's scripture lesson tells us that when Abraham was told by God to go, he fell on his face. Was he quaking in fear? Was he stunned that God was still pestering him to go on a walk? Couldn't God find someone better suited to be the father of a nation? After all, it's the third time that God has come to Abraham and Sarah, inviting them into some kind of divine partnership with God. We know that the first time they did pack up their belongings in their home, they rounded up their livestock, and they journeyed from present-day Turkey from Haran down to present-day Israel to the land of Canaan, it was about a 500-mile journey, and can you imagine how long that would take in antiquity when you were traveling with your sheep and your camels? They got lost a time or two. The route was circuitous. They took a few wrong turns, but, and life did not appear to be all that God promised it would be. God had promised to make of them a nation more numerous than the stars, and still, they are without a child. And they are almost ready to start drawing on their social security. God's promise feels vacant and highly unlikely. In the novel Overstory by Richard Powers, there is a character named Olivia who is also sent on a journey without maps. Olivia is studying for her final exams in her senior year of college. She's a strong student and knows that she can easily coast now and graduate and get a great job. 
but she has also become quite distracted in college by partying and abuse of substances. One night, she's particularly bleary-eyed. She steps out of the shower. She grabs the lamp. She's electrocuted. She's gone. And when she awakens, everything in her life feels different. This near-death experience turns her completely around. She completely loses interest in school. She drops out. She doesn't even finish final exams. And she starts driving west in her car, unsure at first why she's even going there. But eventually, it comes clear to her that she is somehow called to join the environmental movement to save the forest out west. She calls her mom and dad. She explains she's not coming home for Christmas. She's not going to finish finals. She's not going to graduate. And you can hear the angst in mom and dad's voice. They plead with her to go back to school, to finish. And she wonders in the back of her mind why her mom and dad want her to return to a life of drugs and partying and risky behavior. When now, for the first time in her life, she feels like she has a purpose and a mission, meaning and joy. Barbara Brown Taylor says that we often wish that our lives were like a train, but more often life is like a sailboat. We'd like to just go from point A to point B, full speed ahead, but we tack around in the water, bobbing too slowly, meandering from here to there, unsure when and how we will actually arrive. Abraham and Sarah, they represent every single one of us who has ever embarked on a journey but been unsure about the outcome. Someone has said that faith is not belief without proof, but obedience without reservation. So how do we find the courage to risk our own lives and follow God? I remember when I graduated from the University of Texas and went home and announced to my parents that I would be going to graduate school in Connecticut. They were not thrilled, and that is putting it mildly. They were worried, worried that their daughter could never support herself as a minister. They didn't want me to go into debt, and they didn't want me to, God forbid, leave the Lone Star State. After all, if one needed to study theology, there were plenty of good schools in Texas. I was afraid. What if they were right? And days before I left on that 1,700-mile trip in my bright orange car, I was notified by mail that my student loan application had been denied. Looking back on that drive to the east, what I remember most is my friend Laura Matheson. We had been roommates at the University of Texas in Austin. Her parents knew that I was struggling. They invited me over to their house. They set me down in their living room and they looked at me and they said, we are going to pay for your gas from Texas to Connecticut. And it was the first time I realized that I was going to need to pay for that gas between Texas <laughs> and Connecticut. They said, we're going to send our credit cards for gas along with Laura, and she's going to travel with you, and when you get up to the East Coast, she'll fly home. It was enough. 
though I was still afraid, it was enough to know that they believed in me, and Laura made that trek with me every year for three years. It was enough to keep my faith alive when every logical indication told me to give up. Now, Laura and I had maps. You, some of you will remember that AAA used to make these triptych things and you would flip through them on a cross-country journey. But it was actually my heart that needed a spiritual guide. And my friend Laura and her parents were God's guides through unknown spiritual territory. The poet Robert Lack says that the task in life is not so much finding a path in the woods as it is finding a rhythm to walk in. Sometimes the journey, the spiritual journey, is less about moving cross country or moving to a new country and more about discovering the courage to live the life right here where we are, the life God calls us to. And I think of Congressman John Lewis. Four years ago, Congressman Lewis gave the commencement address at Emory University, and in his address to the graduates, he thought back and told stories about his childhood growing up in the Deep South. He said that he could remember as a little boy going places with his parents or his grandparents and seeing signs that said, white men, colored men, white waiting, colored waiting. And he would come home and he would say to his grandparents or to his parents, why? And they answered, that's the way it is, John. Don't get in the way, don't get into trouble. When he was 17 years old, John Lewis met Rosa Parks. When he was 18 years old, he met Martin Luther King Jr. These two inspired him to get in the way and to get into trouble. He turned to the graduating class at Emory University and he said, I come here to say to you this morning on this beautiful campus with your great degree, to you must find a way to get in the way. You must find a way to get into trouble, good trouble, necessary trouble. When God invites Abraham and Sarah to go on a journey without maps, God is inviting all of humanity to go on a journey of faith. The priest, Ron Rollheiser, says, real faith, it's not a set of answers. Rather, it leaves us in mystery, in longing, in desire, open to something bigger. Abraham and Sarah longed for a child their whole married life. Now they are too old. The Bible says he's 99 and she's 90. But you know, Bible years are kind of like dog years in that they do not have a one-to-one -one correspondence to our modern birthdays. And so I suspect that Abraham and Sarah are really old, like 45 or 50. <laughs> Way too old to start a family in antiquity. And let's face it, for 24 years, they have tried to conceive with no luck. They had definitely given up. She's gone through the change. And I love how this Bible written in the age of patriarchy gives us both Sarah and Abraham's reaction to the news that they are expecting a baby boy. When Sarah hears the news, 
she's inside their tent and she overhears just outside the tent a conversation and someone says Sarah is going to have a baby and she giggles and she laughs and laughs and laughs and God says why did you laugh and she denies it and says I didn't laugh and God says oh yes you did and Abraham in today's scripture has the exact same reaction God tells Abraham that he and Sarah are going to have a little boy and Abraham falls down on his face laughing Frederick Beekner describes this as the moment when Abraham and Sarah discover that even their wildest dreams are not wild enough for God God sends us on a journey without maps. God plants within us a divine spark. God empowers us to imagine a future filled with joy and laughter. And you know, it isn't always a big, huge deal. It can be a small moment or a thousand little moments sprinkled throughout a very ordinary life. Faith rises up and keeps us going when our own strength fades and our spirits cower in fear of the unknown path through this life. This summer, Dave and I had the joy of three days at the beach with our three adult children and our five grandchildren. Our three-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Jacob, has autism and is not yet verbal. He can repeat words, parrot them back to you, but he does not initiate speech of any kind. He has never looked at his parents and said, Mom or Dad. He does not greet anyone with hi or hello. And children with autism can react negatively to different kinds of textures. And so Jacob's therapist spent a year working with him to try to get him comfortable with the feel of sand. And when we arrived at the ocean, his little face lit up and he squealed with delight and he loved spending hours seated in the sand at the edge of the ocean and feeling the waves wash over his feet. On the last day of the trip, my husband took Jacob out deeper into the water and was holding them as they were jumping over the waves together. And Jacob's mom showed up at the beach and she came walking out to join them. And Jacob turned around and he said over the sound of the ocean roar, hi mom. And all of us fell into joyful laughter. Faith is a risky venture. There are no guarantees. God has the audacity to call us and provide no maps. But if we recoil in fear and play it safe, we may miss the raucous laughter that comes when God surprises us with the miracle of human love. Where is God calling you to go?